part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, if you open up your Bibles to Titus this morning, uh, Titus is a, a little book almost near the end. In fact, in, in my Bible, it is, uh, even with the, kind of the helps in there, it's that far in the back. So it's almost in the very, very, very back. And it's one of those that is a letter, much like Timothy, First and Second Timothy, that Paul wrote to these young guys that were young pastors, and yet they were going out and they had some difficult tasks. And so it's kind of this older Paul, as he's kind of in those last years of his life, uh, not knowing if he's going to live for another month, another couple months or a year, uh, because there was a death sentence that was kind of hanging over Paul. He knew at any point in time that the Roman emperor could come and, and declare him to be in violation and, and literally cut his head off and end his life. So Paul is writing. He's, uh, God has already instructed him. If you look back in Acts and you kind of take the timetable, um, he's already instructed Paul that this is his last missionary journey. And he's kind of said goodbye to a lot of different people that he's met. But he, along those missionary journeys, he started some churches. He got those original believers and they gathered together and they began to, to meet for worship. And this is one of those congregations that uh, Paul kind of got some of the, the, the Jewish believers and some of the, the people that lived there that were Gentiles. They formed this little church. And then what Paul would do is he established some of these pastors in those places. And that's who Titus is. And Titus is a young guy and he says, okay, pastor these people. And yet uh, they were kind of a difficult people. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't a, a real easy job, especially for a young guy. And so that's what Titus is all about. We get a lot of, it's, it's one that we call, along with First and Second Timothy, we call these pastoral epistles, pastoral letters. And the reason we call them that is because Paul is talking about pastoring, eldership. He talks a lot about just leading people. But uh, he's coming from that perspective where he's really kind of pastoring these young pastors. We see kind of a generational thing going on. We have the older ones kind of giving to the younger ones who then are going to go out and kind of, you know, help pastor these people. Now, I say that because it's really important for you to understand the, the background for us to get the fullness of what we're going to look at this morning. We are not going to go methodically through Titus like we do often with the books. We're going to look at this one section. And we're really looking at it at the theme point of God's design of intergenerational church. Uh, and I, I hope that you see that in the scripture this morning. It kind of comes real clear. Uh, I guess it was last week we were riding the car and Carly said, uh, did you see that story about those people that made this human chain out there in, in Panama City? This was just like a couple weeks ago in, in, uh, in Panama City. There were some folks, uh, I think 10 folks, a family of six and some four others that were out there in Panama City. Everything's good, but all of a sudden the rip current, the rip tide, uh, they could not get back in. And people on shore began to watch them struggling. There was no lifeguard there. They began to call for other, you know, professionals to come in, the police and different ones. And uh, the police said, we've got to wait for the safety boat. I'm sure that was their protocol. It's not that they didn't want to help these people. But that was probably protocol for them. And yet they saw this family out there and they were starting to go under more than they were on the top. And they knew that, it, you know, they'd been out there struggling, trying to get back in. They had tried to swim straight in. They did the whole thing where you swim sideways. They could not get out of just being kind of captured out there. 
And so a couple of people, about 15 people got together and they said, let's make a human chain, you know, and see if we can stretch out there. Well, they did that. And, uh, you know, because help wasn't on the way, or it was on the way, but it wasn't there yet. And they saw the struggle. Well, those first 15 people kind of got armed and they kind of walked their legs and they went out there. Pretty soon it was 80 different people. True story, just a couple of weeks ago, Panama City, 80 folks gathered together. And they finally got out there to the people and they were able to get those, the children first, and then kind of get them and pass them down the line so they were safe on shore. Everybody lived. Everybody was fine. And, uh, you know, I heard that. Carly said, you know, we, we looked at that illustration. And the bad thing about living with a pastor is that everything's a sermon. You know, everything's a sermon. Well, you know, that's like the scripture that says, fill in the blank. And growing up in a pastor's home, it's that way, too. My daughter's here this morning. You know, everything was, well, you know, the scripture says. Uh, but, you know, I said, that's, that's how the church should be. So we have people out here kind of caught in a culture, caught, caught in different things, uh, in our own fallen humanity. And they're sometimes trying to get back in, but sometimes they just don't know the way. They don't have the power to do that. And isn't that a great picture of the church? that we who are able are able to link together and that we're able to kind of go arm in arm, leg in leg, kind of stretch out there and then bring those people in and send them back in kind of one by one to the safety of shore. Do you think that those people that were out there, those ten people, do you think that they really cared if the people, in, those 80 people in the chain were young, old, black, white, uh, from America, from another place, this and there. Do you think at that point in time that they had any qualification except for, hey, I just want a warm body that can link with somebody else so that you can pull me in? I promise you that the only thing that they were wondering is if they would survive. Because I, I promise you, this community, those that are kind of out there, just caught in, in life, in this fallen they do not care. They do not care how help comes. They just need help. Now, I don't say that as if we in the church do not need help. This is not, you know, man, fallen society and we, the heavenly bunch here. No, this is not the heavenly huddle and then that's the outside. No, we are those people. And somewhere along the way, if you're a believer today, somewhere along the line, God used people. You're only saved by the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to the beauty of the gospel. But somewhere along the lines... God used somebody. It may have been mom and dad. It may have been an uncle, an aunt. It may have been a friend. It may have been a, a high school coach, a teacher, a friend uh, that you had growing up, and they took you to church or took you to vacation Bible school. Somewhere along the line, God used that to bring you to the safety of life in Christ. And when we begin to open up the Bible... It really doesn't matter who that person was. It doesn't matter their background, all the different things that, that we maybe would make much of in society. All that matters is that you need it saving. And God provided that way through Christ, but he used other people. That, to me, is a picture of the purpose of the church. Folks, we're, we're here to encourage one another. We are here to disciple one another. We are here to help build one another up. But our whole purpose of being in this community and where God has put us is to reach this community around us. And one of the things that attracted me to Cornerstone from the very beginning is the day that I walked in and I saw that you really did have people of all ages and it seemed like various backgrounds. I said, this isn't just a, a church that, you know, there's just this one kind of folk that meet there. Have you ever been to a church like that? You know, if, I, I told somebody this morning, have you ever been to a church that if you, let's say that you were 60 and you walked in, you were the youngest one there? 
Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, please don't get me wrong. Or if you walked in at 40, you were the oldest one there. I mean, I've been seen some churches like that. Nothing wrong with either one of those. But one of the beauties of having multi-generations, a lot of different generations in a church, is that you really do get to kind of play out this whole discipleship and this whole training and this whole kind of passing on to the next generation, the wonders of Christ, the stories of Christ, the glory of Christ, and this instruction that we see in the Word. That's what Paul instructed Titus to do. Titus was um, um, ministering to the Cretans. This is the island of Crete. And uh, the Cretans were, they were just known as kind of a mean people. In fact, listen to what Paul says. He says, one of the Cretans, this is what the Cretans said about themselves, okay? One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So, so this prophet says, and this is the kind of people we are. We're just, you know, these you know, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then Paul comes back in verse 13 and says, I have found this to be true. You know, these people, as I have been on this place, I found that this is really who they are. This prophet wasn't wrong. So this is where Titus is, and he's got to pastor these people. And there was a lot of false doctrine. One of the things that we see is the predominant theme in the New Testament is the warning against false doctrine. Why? Well, because Christianity is brand new. And so this, you know, Christianity comes out uh, certainly God is not new. Certainly the Bible goes back in generations. But Christ coming in the form of a baby growing in perfection, then dying in a sacrificial death, that was brand new to the Jewish people, even though the Old Testament points us to Christ the whole time. When Christ really gets here, they're not even kind of ready for it, much less the Gentiles. And so this story of the New Testament, as this word goes out, uh, you know, they, they were fascinated by it. But from the very beginning, I want you to know that they took the truth of the gospel and the truth about Jesus, and they began to twist it. Some would say, well, you know, we think that he was a man, but we don't really know that he was a God-man, that is, that he was fully deity. Others would say, well, we think that he was God, but was he really in the flesh? Did he really have a human body? And so there was all kinds of different things floating around about what was true Christianity and all kind of centered on who do you say Christ is. Well, that's the problem in this church. They have all kinds of different philosophies, all kinds of different backgrounds. And so this is Paul's solution and his advice to Titus as he goes out to pastor these people. Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He said, here's the job that you have to do. As you go out to pastor these people, just make sure you're teaching them solid doctrine, truth, from the very beginning. Now look what he says as that goes on. Verse 2. He said, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He says, uh, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to teach them good doctrine, but here's how you're going to do it. You're going to take the older ones that maybe have walked with Christ for a little bit longer. Yes, they, you know, they've been a Christian for 15 years, 20 years, maybe 25 years. You're going to take those that are kind of solid in their faith, and you're going to help, help instruct the people that are new in your faith. What a novel idea. In our society today, we don't have as many trades like you would have had just 100 years ago. And one of the things that you used to have 100 years ago when you had a lot more trades is that you'd have people that would come inside and they would teach you and you would be kind of 
trained in that trade for maybe a year, two years, three years. Whether it was plumbing, electricity, mechanics, this, that, and the other machinery, you would kind of, you know, be an intern there, and you would learn the trade from somebody who had been doing it for 30, 40 years. We don't see quite as much of that just because society has changed. The way that we do a lot of things have changed. There's a, a lot more technology that has replaced people, and so you don't quite see that on the level that you would have 100 years ago. But the need is still there. And would you agree that the need is still there in the local church? That people who have walked with Christ for a long time can instruct those that are now newly walking in Christ. That's the model that he begins to, to put out there. Because, uh, again, think about it, folks. We, we, do you think that we live in a day and time where there is some different doctrines going around? I mean, there's every kind of belief that you can think of. And with the proficiency of information on things like uh, the Internet and stuff like that, where you can just get information by the overload, there's every thought that you can imagine. You know, we, we don't have to go to the library to find out about this world religion or about this different belief or that. Folks, you just kind of go right there, and you can get all tons and tons of information right there. And it can be very confusing to the point where you begin to say, what is right? Well, that's what is kind of happening here. And the job of the local church and the people in the church, along with the pastor, but also the cooperation of all the people, is to make sure that we're getting people safely to shore, solid ground, so that when those crisis times of our lives come up, that we just know that we know that we know that this is truth. I'll be the first one to tell you, who hasn't doubted? I've shared with you before, there's been times I'm going, you know, God, are you even real? <laughs> what, what if, since I haven't seen you, you know, and I haven't heard you audibly, you know, what if this is all just a fairy tale? Now, those moments are kind of infrequent and they're passing. But I think that's just the logical mind. I think it's us living in this world where we don't always see, you know, God face to face like that. And it's the logical questions come to our mind. In those times, let's say that I really began to doubt seriously. Who do I want around me at that time? I want other brothers and sisters who have walked with Christ, maybe even faced those same doubts, those same fears, those same whatever, to say, hey, here's how I got through it. Or here's what I'm still struggling with. That's the reality that we should see in the local church is that we're not afraid to ask questions. We're not, allowed to, we're not afraid to say, man, I, I, I struggle with this. This scripture right here is really hard for me to digest. Can you encourage me? That's what Paul wanted to happen in this church. He instructs the older man. He said, older man, here's the kind of mindset you want. Why? So that they could pass that on. Look at verse 3. He said, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. Basically, those that are strong and able are helping those that are starting to walk, maybe weak, maybe doubting. Those, to use our illustration this morning, that are drowning a little bit. Those that are able, helping those that at that point in time are a little bit unable. And at this point, Paul knew that, uh, that there were some strong older believers there, and he wanted them to be grounded in that good doctrine. Because if you go back and you begin to look at those verses, he's, he, he's saying not just, hey, be helpful and make sure that you're all friends and you get along. He says, teach them 
these truths. His whole purpose is those who have walked in faith to teach and to encourage those that haven't walked as far. And folks, that is the consistent pattern throughout the whole Bible. When you turn to the Old Testament, it speaks much and it speaks highly of those who have been walking in faith for a long time. Psalm 78.4 We will not hide them. He's talking about this, the statutes and the beliefs and, and all the, the different doctrine uh, and just the reality of God. He says, We will not hide them, these stories of God, from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord that in His might and the wonders that He has done. In other words, that we're passing on from generation to generation the wonders of what God has done in our lives. Can you imagine, you know, Abraham, when he takes his son up there and he's about to take his life, just being obedient, and, and how that must have totally played with the mind of his son. You know, I thought you loved me, Dad. Why, you, why do you have this knife? And I've always thought that, you know, as traumatic as that event was, that, number one, it taught Isaac something very, very important that day, and that, that God was a provider. But can you imagine that when he really began to stumble in his own faith, they said, you know, my dad, even when it was the most unthinkable thing in the world, my dad was going to be faithful to the call of God in his life. Can you imagine that kind of legacy? And that's the legacy that God wants us to pass on. It doesn't have to be your own father. It can be a father in, in ministry. It can be a brother and sister. That, guys, that's what we're supposed to be doing, encouraging one another. That's the model that we see in the New Testament is that God has multiple generations and those that are strong and long in the faith are able to help encourage the younger ones. Now, don't get offended if you're here younger today and say, well, you know, I've seen a lot of older ones and I know twice as much as them or I'm stronger in my faith than them. Now, in the same way that he said, Timothy, don't let people discount you just because you're young. There are some tremendous young followers in Christ. But do you see the model that Paul's really uh, trying to put in place here? And do you see what the Bible begins to tell us is that there's just a natural flow from the older ones who have walked there before to pass on to the younger ones. Look what it says a couple of verses later in Psalm 78. Verse 6 and 7. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Do you see that last part? He said, okay, you're, this generation is going to tell the next generation. They're going to tell the next generation. And even this generation hasn't been born yet. They're going to be told what, for what purpose? One, not to forget the works of God. But why do they want to remember the works of God? What does it say in verse 7? So that they should set their hope in God. Let's be real for a second. Real more than just a second. Do you ever lose your hope in God? I mean, is that a sign of, of that you're just a terrible person? Or is that a sign that, that we kind of live sometimes in a, in a world that has fallen and in our own fallen nature that it's tough? And that there are times that we really, just like Jonah, and we've been looking at for weeks and weeks, where God does something that confuses us or something happens in our life and it just doesn't seem right. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about justice? that our problem with justice is not that justice needs to be done. It's when justice is done differently than what we think is just. That was Jonah's whole problem. He didn't hate God. 
idea what God was doing because he did not want God to save those Ninevites. In the same way, there's things that happen in our lives, guys, that just do not add up to our human understanding. And in those days, sometimes it's easy to lose a little bit of our hope in God. In those days, you're kind of out there and your hope in God is not just super, super strong and you're not feeling like the most faithful one. Do you need to be left alone to pray more, to think more? Or do you need to be surrounded by people in those days, the people that you know, that you love and trust? And even if they don't tell you what you want to hear, you still kind of need to hear it if it's true. Have you ever been there before? Sometimes, sometimes that was mom and dad. I mean, they just told you what you needed to hear, even though you didn't want to hear it. And part of it was that you were just 16, 18, or 21, and you didn't see things from that full vantage point. But there's other times in our own Christian faith that sometimes they're just not adding up. And what we need at that time is not somebody to go, yeah, I have my own doubts too, in that sense, and kind of egg on the doubt. But somebody say, hey, you know, I've had those doubts. Here's what I've found in my own walk with God, is I just need to, you know, to get back in prayer. I just need to get back in the Word. I just need to get back in fellowship, whatever it might be, of what worked with them. And we hear their story, and it brings what? The hope in God back to us. That's what God has designed here. A connection that goes through the generations. This is one of the many things that I love about Cornerstone is that we have the opportunity, guys, to be able to minister to all ages here. I mean, we have young. We have a lot of little babies. And we have uh, older ones. We have people who have walked with the Lord. How many of you have walked with the Lord for more than 25 years? Raise your hand and keep it up. More than 35 years. Okay, more than 45 years. More than 55 years. How long, Mr. Cliff? Right? Somewhere between 45 and 55, obviously. Yeah. And Miss Lorraine, the same way. They, you know, there were several hands that were still up after 45 years. Now, guys, in a time when you're going through kind of a crisis, do you want to connect with these people? And yet, do you always feel the openness to be able to do that? Well, I don't really know them that well, or, you know, they're kind of new, or, you know, I haven't... God designed, desires for us to have an intimacy within the church. That even though we may not always go, you know, out to dinner all the time together, or we may not go on vacation with this family, that, you know, we may not be together 24-7. But we are to have an intimacy by God's design within the church that when we struggle in the faith, that we're able to go to, to ones that will encourage us, to those to instruct us, those even to discipline us. It's part of what God's great design is. Why? So that we might have a hope in God when that hope is fading. But just because you have a lot of different generations in a church does not mean that you're intergenerational. Multi-generational would describe a church or a, a family or a corporation or a company or a school or whatever the, the, the organization might be. Multi-generational is if you had people from different generations. You have multiple generations there. Intergenerational, in the way that I'm using it here, is that there's a purposeful intention of integrating those generations for a purpose. And when we see the New 
the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, we don't see just a multi-generational approach. What we see is an intergenerational approach. Deuteronomy, I could just read verses after verses. We have a mindset. We have something that is done with intentionality. And so God's desire for a cornerstone, for example, is not just to have people from the cradle on up, but for us to have a mindset where we really have a ministry, a, a, an effort, an intentionality of ministering in that strength. God's design was always to take anything that would separate us and that the gospel would bring us together. That's why he says every race, every tribe. He says every this, that, and the other. And, you know, if we go back in, in some of Paul's writings in Galatians 3.28, uh, he says, there is now neither Jew or Greek. We don't even begin in our culture. We do not even begin to understand what that was all about, the difference between a Jew and a Greek. I mean, the Gentiles had their own opinions about the Jews. But the Jews, God's people, they had strong, strong, strong opinions about the Gentiles. And so the gospel changed everything. It was radical. And we don't really grasp in our culture how radical it was for Paul to write in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That was radical, folks, on every level. And God wants that kind of radical nature, that mindset, that intentionality to be very, very much represented in every church, but I believe especially in our church. Two things that we can do with this intentionality that I want to share with you this morning. One is next week we're going to have a back-to-prayer service uh, for back-to-school. Thank you. And back to prayer, yes, yes. Uh, back to school prayer service. And uh, one of the things that we're going to do there is for all, you don't have to participate, this is all voluntary, but uh, for everybody that wants to sign up their children and their teachers to, uh, to be able to sign them up and then to get some of the older ones. Again, you've already raised your kids. Maybe now they're already, you know, your own kids have grandkids that are in school or even out of school. And for you to adopt them and say, okay, for this school year, I'm going to take little Billy and, and I'm going to be praying for him. And I'm going to be praying for his teacher. And that you would do that and that it would just be that intentional way. I, I realize that some of you have grandparents right here in community, but some don't have grandparents within hours. And so it gives you somebody there at church that's just going to, you know, I see our older ones and the way that you love on our kids and you do a great job on that. But even with that much more intentionality, that you love all the kids, but if you've got little Billy that you're coming up to on Sunday morning and you're asking Billy how the school week went and what was good and, and how can I pray? Talking to mom and dad, how can I pray for Billy and what he's going through right now? So that's, it's an easy thing, guys. It's something that we can do, but it really kind of encourages this intentionality. The other thing, again, this is all volunteer, is something that I will call uh, 3-6 dinners. And uh, if you want to participate in that, you just kind of fill out a form, a simple little form I'll have for you and say, okay, we're willing to do this. And then we will put together, we'll just kind of pick out and try to get three different generations um, represented. And, and you have six weeks to have dinner. It can be in your in one of the homes of the three people. You can meet outside. You can do that. But you're getting those three families together and having dinner together and just spending time together. 
at the end of that six weeks, you trade off and there's going to be somebody else, another, your family and two others. And so by the time that we would do this for several months, you've had dinner with a lot of different people, and not just the people that normally you'd have dinner with, but that people of different generations. That, you know, we have some very young couples, we have some middle-aged couples, we have some older couples and older families. And trying to get those together so that we can really learn from one another, that we could discourse. There's something about food and, and sitting around food, guys. I'm, I'm serious in this. That is spiritual. I promise you that a lot of education, a lot of intimacy, a lot of discipleship happened with Jesus and his 12 around dinners. Because as they were sitting down and they were just, you know, taking that time, that they were purposing and they knew one another and they could share with one another. And so those are two things that we're going to be doing, uh, give you the option to participate in that will kind of practice this intentional intergenerational kind of mindset. Can you imagine what God would do with that? I mean, I don't know about you, but there came a time in my young life when I thought my dad didn't know his way out of a wet paper bag. My dad, he didn't. It's not like during my teenage years his IQ went down or his wisdom went down. I just, I could not see it. But God placed in my life coaches, some people at church, and, and a couple older men that said the same exact thing that my dad was saying, but to them I would marvel, wow, that's wise. You know? I wish my dad could hear this, and my dad had said the same thing. Guys, this is just the reality of, of family dynamics. And one of the great things, it's kind of like, you know, grandparents. They can say the same thing that mom and dad is saying, but they get away with it because there's cookies involved. You know, just something that comes out better when grandma and granddad says it. Guys, that's the culture that Paul was trying to get to those Christians. They were kind of a fierce people. They were kind of a hard-headed people. They were, by their own admission, we're not, you know, your average Joe here. They said that they were hard people. And Paul's solution was, hey, love them, but take the older ones and just give them solid doctrine, give them solid truth. Spend time together and see what God can do. And, and that's what we intend to do here is that we would just be, you know, that the older ladies would have opportunities to speak into the hearts and lives of our younger ladies. Let me give you a story, one more verse, and then we'll be done. Uh, several years ago at, at my other church, I was counseling with a, a family, and it did not look good. There had been uh, an indiscretion in the marriage, and um, the wife had every biblical opportunity to leave. And um, there was a lot of even the Christian friends, her rural friends, kind of encouraging her, look, you know, you have biblical grounds for divorce, you can walk out, you don't need to be put up with this. There's a couple older ladies in the church that uh, put their voice in and lovely, encouraged, said, you don't need to do this. You need to fight. You need to stay in this. And it will be hard. And it will be something that uh, your mind says no, your heart says no. But you stay with this and see what God can do with it. They are now a very happily married couple. Active in their church, 
active in leadership. And I wonder, I just wonder, if they would be in that status today had there not been some older women saying, look, I'm not saying that it's not hurtful. I'm not saying that this is wrong. I'm just saying, in the big scheme of things, stick with the covenant. Stay here and be true. And the blessings have come. If you're here and you're younger today, please do not hear any offense about younger Christians. Okay, Please not, do not hear that. But God's design of the church is to use those that have walked with God for 35 and 40 and 45 and 50 years. They've been through a lot of ups and downs. They've been through heartbreaks. They've been there at the times when they wanted to walk away from the church, maybe did walk away from the church for a certain time, and found out that they you know, came back. Why? Because that's where the hope of God was. And they have stories to tell, and we can learn from those stories. Let me leave you with this thought. Psalms 37, 25. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, I have been young and now I'm old. And I'm starting to relate to that more and more and more. (laughs) Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Now think about that. Here's a guy. He's writing. He says, okay, I was young. And now I'm older, and in all my years, I found God to be faithful. That's one thing for an 18-year-old to get up and say that. And and can an 18-year-old say that authentically? Yeah, I was nine once, and now I'm 18. I was young, and now I'm old, and and I found God to be faithful. And it, it, it is something of weight there. A man of 32 can say that. I was young. I was 13. I was 15. And now I'm in my 30s. And in all this time that I've been watching God, I found Him to be faithful. But would you agree this morning that when a man of 65 or 70 or 75 or 80 stands and says, I was young? And now I am old, and here's what I found. Not that I always understood, not that I always was able just to to comprehend or grasp, but I have found this, that God is faithful. I need that. As a 54-year-old guy, I need the 74-year-old guy telling me, I've walked this path, and I've found him faithful. And I believe that there's a 34-year-old guy that needs to hear from a 54-year-old guy. I have walked all these years, and I have found him faithful. And I believe that there's probably a 14-year-old guy out there that needs to hear from that 34-year-old guy. Hey, I've walked with God all these years, and I have found him to be faithful. That's the beauty of the intergenerational church, guys. It's not that we all hadn't, that anybody has figured it out yet. We're all still in the process of figuring it out but that we would allow those battle scars to amount to something. And some of us, most of us maybe say, okay, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you some things not to do. I mean, that's most of my wisdom is what not to do, okay? That's the beauty that I think Cornerstone 
already possesses to a certain degree, but can expand in amazing ways. The beauty of all the ages coming together and God just working his wonder. Why? Because we all need hope in God. There's not a day that goes by that this world doesn't just kind of crash against. And we find ourselves like those people in Panama City, kind of out there. We were having a great day, and all of a sudden we are stranded, and we're unable to get back to safety. And we need that hope and that security and that safety. And we need people to link arms together and come out there and take us back in to the safety of that shore. My hope and my prayer is that we would be a congregation that really kind of lives this out. It's one thing to talk about it, guys. It's one thing to to kind of say, well, that's kind of a novel idea. That's kind of cool. It's another one to be intentional about it. So many things that I love about this church. A lot of people say, you know, we need to really help people that are hungry. Many of you, through ISERV, not not directly just this church, but but in your connection with ISERV, you're doing something about it. There's a lot of good intentions for this world. It's easy to come up with good intentions. It's a whole other thing to go out there and say, you know, I'm going to purposely do this or do that or whatever it is to make a difference in this person's life today. I'm not a hero. Just I believe what I say. And that's what I believe can happen here at, at CS. I think this is what we have to offer the community, that when people come into our congregation, that they can see the beauty of every nation, every tribe, of, of really seeing you know, a, a variety and diversity of people, but also that diversity of age and see that working to the, the beauty and the pleasure of God. Let's bow together. Father, we love you. We thank you this morning, Father, that you have uh, not been silent, Father, in the way that you have spoken in your word. Father, there's so many different passages I could point to that just live out this whole idea of intergenerational thinking and wisdom being passed on. And Father, I thank you for those in our church that have walked with you 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Well, they may not have done that all here at Cornerstone, Father, but you have given them a longevity. You've given them a wisdom. And Father, sometimes that wisdom is, hey, I don't know what to do, just don't do this. Father, that wisdom is needed. And so, Father, I, I thank you that we can be a, a, a church where we come in and, Father, there's a place for us. There's a purpose for us. And that there's love going on and wisdom and discipleship and training going on, encouragement, so that we can find hope in you, that hope of God that we saw cited in that verse. Father, I, I pray that that would take place in our church even more so than it does now, that, Father, uh, even through some simple things that we would do, that, Father, that we can be intentional about this so that our young men and our young ladies and all those back there in the preschool and the children's and the student departments, Father, would be able to say uh, one day, hey, I I knew this guy in church, and he was an older man, and he spent time with me, and he taught me some wise things that I'll never forget. Father, let us be that kind of church. Because certainly you are that kind of God. We love you and we thank you. As we put our total hope in you. And pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.